So if you haven't heard, we have a series we're calling it Soul Print. And uh, we didn't come up with the title, but that is the title of the book that we are using as a basis for this new series written by Pastor Mark Batterson of National Community Church in Washington, D.C. He did the same series uh, that we did on Chase the Lion. And he's just some incredible things that he's written as Assembly of God pastor. And we're just excited to, to pass along these wonderful teachings to you and kind of put our own thing on this as well. But it's just called Soul Print. And I want to begin just by reading to you uh, a quote by C.S. Lewis in a book called The Weight of Glory. It says this, The dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, would be strongly temp- you would strongly be tempted to worship. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. (laughs) What C.S. Lewis is saying is that God created us, and he created us good. And God has such wonderful things. How many know that we are being formed into the image of Christ? And one day we will be with Jesus, and we will walk with Jesus forever. Uh, I, this was so good. I have to. I'm going to read something else to you. It's just the just an opening paragraph from Mark Batterson in Soul Print, and I didn't know how to paraphrase this for myself because it's that good. So let me just read this quote to you from Mark Batterson. It says this: There has never been, and never will be, anyone else like you. But that isn't a testament to you. It's a testament to the God who created you. You are unlike anyone who has ever lived. But that uniqueness isn't a virtue. It's a responsibility. Uniqueness is God's gift to you. And uniqueness is your gift to God. You owe it to yourself to be yourself. But more important, you owe it to the one who designed you and destined you. As we begin this brand new series all about finding out who we are, who God has made us to be so that we can live out our responsibility to be the person that God has made us to be. As we begin this, can we just pray for a moment? Lord, we love you, God. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you have made us and we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. God, we thank you, God, that we could be here tonight as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe there's some here tonight that are just seeking you, God. Maybe they haven't made a decision yet. But, Lord, some may be online watching that haven't quite made the decision yet to go all in with you, God. But we pray tonight that as this message goes forth, Lord, that we would be lifted up, that we'd be encouraged, that, Lord, truth would come into our hearts, God, that there would be something that is said, Lord, that would spark our interest. And for those that are seeking, perhaps, Lord, this would be the night, God, that or whenever they're watching this, this would be the time that they would give their life to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. All right, let me make this statement. You were created to worship God in a way that no one else can. And how are you going to do that? Well, it's very simple. You're going to live a life that no one else can. Your life. How many know that your life has already been decided, that the author of life has planned and ordered your steps? How many understand this? That God designed you and he has a purpose for you. So fulfilling your God-given destiny 
begins with discovering your true identity. I think that's something that all of us really want in our life, don't we? We really want to know who we are, why we're here. Why are we here? Of all the billions of people on planet Earth and people that have lived across all the centuries, why me? Why here? Why now? For what reason? And that's part of finding out that is, is the discovery. When you can find out who you are, then you will fulfill the destiny that God has given you. And God has an important mission for each one of us. Most of us know more about other people, interestingly, than we do about ourselves. Think about that for a second. Our identity sometimes gets buried in the events of life. I mean, our mistakes, all of our insecurities, all the lies that we've been told, maybe that we believe. Um, how many, how many, you, we could go through a whole list of things that have happened to us in our life, right? That we could kind of blame on who we are right now. Like, this is, the, this is the reason why I think this way and act this way and do these things. Because this happened to me and that happened to me and this person said this to me and that person never talked to me and that affected me. And then, you know, and so on and so forth. And we could come up with all these things and we sort of, our identity gets buried in all of that. And so consequently, we get way more interested in hearing someone else's story and, and seeing how important someone else was. And, oh, wow, that's really cool. And, and sometimes we think we don't even have a testimony. How many would admit, maybe at points of your life, you've said that. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not that interesting. You know, nobody wants to know anything about me. i got nothing interesting to say. Sometimes we can get that way because our identity has been buried. It's sort of been suppressed. We're really not sure who we are. But i got to tell you something. God wants you to know who you are. God wants to show you because God has a purpose for you. And let me just say this loud and clear. Every single one of us has a testimony. Each one of our lives is a testimony to God who created us. We spend way too much time and energy trying to be someone that we're not. Why? It's easier. It's easier. And we think it's safer. It's safer. How many of you have ever said you just wanted to fit in, right? I think, I think all of us deal with image at times, right? And actually, all of us deal with image every day. You had dealt with image before you came here tonight, didn't you? You decided what you were going to wear and how you were going to look if you wanted to come out. Some of you didn't come out because you were worried about that, but you just came out. And uh, it's much safer just behind the television, isn't it? But I got to tell you, the way that we live trying to be someone else is not the right way to live. This is giving up our spiritual birthrights. When we do this, we aren't just lying to ourselves, but we're losing ourselves. You can't be somebody else. You have to be yourself. Wherever you are on the journey of self-discovery, the goal of this series is this. And remember this, that you would experience the joy of discovering who you are and the freedom of discovering who you're not. So could you begin to just ask the Lord, Lord, show me, God, who I am, who you created me. God, I'm praying to know the steps that you have for me, and Lord, help me not to try to be somebody else. Help me not to live that way. Here's some things that need to be said at the start of this series. The first one is this. Stop seeking a second persona. 
What does this mean? If you're going to really get to know others in relationship or find intimacy in any way, you need to discover who you are first. It'll be impossible to really have an intimate relationship with another person until you really know yourself. If you haven't discovered your unique abilities, your passions, how can you ever experience in fulfillment in them? Did you know you have abilities? Some of you are sitting, I don't have any special talents. I don't have any special, any, any skills or anything that, you know, maybe any gifts that, that I was born with or, or things. I'm not really passionate. Listen, there are things that are in you. They're just buried there. But you need to ask the Lord to show them to you. You might make a living if all you do is, is, is live out of uh, whatever it is that you're, you're doing without a passion. You might make a living, but you're not going to make a life. How many would like to have a life where you do what you're passionate about? How many would like to do that? There are way too many people living on the earth that are doing things that they're not passionate about. You ask them every day, oh, yeah, i got to go to work today. Oh, every day there's something that that's going on. They're just not fulfilling any sort of dream or any sort of thing that, that, that's probably been in their heart. And now sometimes we have to do that for periods of our life. We may not always get to be where we really love what we do. But the goal ought to be in your life to begin to line that up over your life. Begin to do the things that God has gifted you for and that you're passionate about. The spiritual side effects of superficiality are the most detrimental. Superficiality is a form of hypocrisy. If you fail to discover the truth, the whole truth about yourself, aren't you just lying to yourself? And your life becomes a half-truth. How many of you remember high school? A long time ago for some, right? I, was, I can't believe it. I think next summer is going to be my 30th class reunion, I believe. I can't believe that. I'm getting old. All right. That's usually in high school is the time when people try to first contrive an image for public consumption. But that's all it is. And I remember being so shocked when I went to college, because in high school, it was all about how you looked. It was all about the clothes you were wearing and who you were hanging out with and what you were involved in, and everybody cared about all that stuff. It was so important, you know, the brand of sneakers you were, you were wearing or the jeans that you had, and, you know, if you had all the, all the cool stuff that was in that, you know, you'd see on television or whatever. And then I got to college, and I was like, oh, man, what's this going to be like? But I get to college, and nobody cares about any of that, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, wow. I mean, and you could see that because everybody was different. You know, everybody had their own thing and nobody cared about any of that anymore. And it was such a freeing thing. So it, we didn't have to build up the second persona, you know, to, to live a secondhand life. So we don't ever want to live our life where our image is narrated by the public instead of us. Where we have other people tell us who we should be and what we should look like. The second persona. We need to live as we are made to be. If we don't, we become hypocrites. We're just actors on a stage, and this makes our life a lie. And now, this seems like a message maybe right now we should be preaching to the teens, right? But i got to tell you something. Some of this carries right on into adulthood, where people are still trying to live a second persona. The problem with this is that we aren't just cheating ourselves out of our God-given destiny. We're also cheating God. 
God created us to be the person he wants us to be. If we're saying to God, then I don't want to be me. I want to be someone else. Then we're cheating God. He created us. He gave us those destinies. There was a Washington Post journalist named Meg Greenfield. She once wrote this about trying to keep up an image. She said this, life inside the image requires continuous care, feeding, and above all, protection. This is the worst of it. It's like never being able to get undressed. We are, most of us, much of the time, in disguise. We present ourselves as we think we are meant to be. In Washington, this is really, is greatly in excess of the ordinary hypocrisies that exist everywhere else. She was talking about living inside that Washington bubble, where all it is is image. And you can never be somebody that you're, you could re- that you should be, but you always have to put on this image of someone that you think you should be to please everybody else. You see, God doesn't want us to be actors. He wants us to be ambassadors. How many know that God has created you to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ? You are re- representative of Jesus Christ. If we dig deep enough, if we get all the way down to our fallen nature, then we can find the truth that lies buried beneath our sin the image of God. And yes, we were created in the image of God. I want to find my true identity and continue that journey with the Lord because God has true destinies for us. In the weeks to come in this series, we're going to dig into into your past. We're going to look for clues about what your future might look like. Okay, going to dust off all those things that maybe you believed that weren't true about yourself because you were told them by other people. All right, we're going to look into that. Maybe some of those insecurities that you've acquired, maybe God is going to use this series to help shed those insecurities. I would say amen to that, right? All right, maybe during this series, you're just going to peel away all those layers of the things that have piled up in your life, and you're going to begin to say to the Lord, okay, God, let those fall away. Now show me what you say about me. Now show me what you have for me. That's the desire of this. And I believe we will become healthy. We're going to make these discoveries, and they're going to be maybe painful, but then pleasurable also. Forever change the way that we see ourselves. That's our goal. I would like to forever change the way I see myself. Why? I want to see myself the way God sees me. And I'm praying that that's your heart's desire as well. In fact, You'll never see yourself the same way because you'll see yourself through the eyes of your creator. The second thing we need to know is this. Start looking for destiny clues. You know, you never know what moment in your life will become a defining moment. But how many know we have defining moments in our life? These are the larger than life moments that we live in. These identify, these moments are identified uh, and when we identify them, they, they are the key to identifying who we are. You see, psychological research says that only about 1% of our life experiences make it into our conscious memories. In other words, the things that we always will remember that you could just pick up. Oh, I remember that event. I remember this event. Only 1% of all your life experience will be retained that way. Everything else will be forgotten with time and other memories or in, until maybe somebody reminds you of those things. How many been there where somebody reminds you of something that happened? And I just had this recently happen to me. And somebody said, do you remember that? And I said, I had totally forgotten about that. My daughter was pulling out pictures of things. And I, I, I didn't remember that. If you'd asked me, I wouldn't remember. But then the picture began to bring back some memories. But it's even worse than that. 
Less than 1% of the 1% of the conscious memories are truly unforgettable, <laughs> all right? So even less than 1% of 1% are those things that you will remember forever. And these are defining moments. Every past experience is preparation for a future opportunity. Therefore, the key to fulfilling your future destiny is hidden in your past memories. There are things that have happened to you in life, the things that you have experienced already that have given you clues as to who God has created you to be. Some of you have capitalized on those moments, and some of you let those moments slip by you, and you did nothing with them. I'll never forget when I was called into the ministry. That was a defining moment in my life. I was just given a testimony. So watch out. If pastor ever asks you to give a testimony, and he says, just prepare something for five minutes. That's it. Just five minutes and put a scripture and just encourage everybody with your testimony. That's what I was asked to do as a teenager. And lo and behold, the Holy Spirit came upon me and started preaching the gospel. And God said, that's what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Wow. I was a teenager. I could have just said, I'm just a kid. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know which way I'm going to go. You know, and I could have just gone in the Air Force like my father. And that's what I had planned on doing. And I could have just done that. But it was a defining moment. I said, okay, Lord, I hear you. I hear what you have for me. Now I'm beginning to understand. And God has put things in your past that will help you discover their clues as to who you are. Who we are today is a reflection of our past experiences. It's kind of like looking in a mirror. But there are a few places, a few experiences, a few people that leave imprints in ways that become parts of our soul prints. These are things that really make us who we are. Exactly what, you may be wondering, is a soul print. Let me quote from the book. Think of it this way. Your fingerprint uniquely identifies you and differentiates you from everyone else who has ever lived. But your fingerprint is only skin deep. You possess a uniqueness that is soul deep. I call it your soul print. It's not just who you are, present tense. It's who you are destined to become, future tense. It's not just who others see when they look at you from the outside in. It's who God has destined you to become from the inside out. Not unlike your genetic code that programs your physical anatomy, your soul print hardwires your true identity and true destiny. So while you live your life forward, God works backward. Omniscient one, the omniscient one always starts with the end in mind. Wow. Let that soak in a little. An example of how God uses these defining moments to reveal a person's destiny can really be found in the life of David. And throughout this series, we're going to be talking about David a lot because he's the prototype for really what a soul print is all about. In Psalm 139.16, and you can look that up in your Bible, it says this, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Can I read that again so that we can just sort of soak it for a second? Because this is so important. Remember, David is the one who penned these words. He said, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He is the author of life. He already dreamed it up. What's so powerful about God, because I think of this, because he's a God of free will, right? He he knows he's given us the ability to choose, right? But God has chosen a wonderful destiny for us, and he's written our story 
But in it, he already knows our choices as well. He knows. He, we have that free will, but he is an omniscient God. He's an all-knowing God. It's incredible. It's why he could use Judas and still work with Judas. It was amazing, right? Didn't, didn't you think Jesus already knew Judas would betray him even before he became one of the 12? He, he just knows. God knows these things, and yet he still allows us to choose because that's the God he is. It is our holy responsibility to discover our God-given destiny. David did. If you could think of it this way, it would be like his epitaph. It's found in Acts chapter 13, verse 36. The Bible says this about David. When David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. In other words, he died. When, when, when was his life destiny fulfilled? After he had served God's purpose in his generation. And I want you to get a sense during soul print that God has a purpose for you in your generation, in this time, in this time. And it, it was, it's going to be amazing when you begin to go, okay, God, I know my purpose. I now know, I know what you've called me to do. And then you become faithful to it. You will be like David. We'll serve our purpose in our generation. David is the soul print prototype. During this series, we'll be dissecting the defining moments of his life in hopes that it will help you discover your own destiny. One of the most memorable days of his life, Batterson writes, David went down by a brook that didn't just bisect a battlefield, it bisected his life. His life would never be the same after that day, and he knew it. His life was about to end or about to begin. How many have ever <laughs> had a day like that? All right. Giant footsteps got louder as Goliath drew nearer. He didn't, but it didn't disrupt David's laser-like focus. Like a child trying to find a flat stone for skipping, David was searching for smooth stones from the riverbed. He knew that the shape of the stone would determine the trajectory of the sling. Then David had a moment, a defining moment. As he bent down by the brook, he saw a reflection of himself in the water. It was like he was seeing himself for the first time. Everybody who had ever known David, including his own father, saw David as nothing more than a shepherd boy. But as David stared his reflection in the water, his true identity was revealed. David saw the person God had destined him to become, a giant killer. This was his true identity. That was his true destiny. Wow. You imagine that? This is what I love about David. See, David, he could have lived a life just sore, just insecure, just going about, you know, this is all I'll be. I'll just be the boy that brings the cheese sandwiches, you know, to my brothers in battle. You know, that's all I'll ever be. I'll just be the shepherd. I'll be the kid playing his guitar. You know, my brothers have their swords and their armor and everything else, and I'm just going to be playing the strings out here, singing to the stars, you know. That's it. I'm a, I'm a poor musician, you know. Right, Pastor Anthony? Just a poor musician. And uh, that's what David could have been. He could have, he could have been so insecure. That's all they'd ever see. In fact, he was the smallest of the brothers. Can you imagine? Even the prophet comes by. You know what I mean? And and it's like uh, everybody's looking for the for the new guy. It's like, where's uh, uh, is this all you got? You know, none of the brothers would pass the test. Well, you know, you know my son, he's out in the field. You know, he's he's set. But you don't need him. You don't want him. He's the smallest of all of them. I mean, David could have lived like a small man, but he did not. He saw his destiny. He saw his destiny. And you know what? We can live that way too, and we can learn something from David. Don't ever live 
in the in the shadow or in the in the way that everybody says these things about you and that you live here because God has created for greater things. God has a destiny for you. So the third thing is stop looking at outward appearances and start looking at the heart. How many know this is the way God sees people? He doesn't look at the outward. He looks at the heart. To the average eye, it was a mutilated piece of marble. The aborted sculpture had been abandoned half a century earlier by Agostino di Giudio. I can't even say his name. (laughs) But a young artist named Michelangelo saw something in that stone others did not. Chiseling the 18-foot block of marble would consume nearly four years of his life. But that seemingly worthless stone was destined to become what many consider the greatest statue ever sculpted by human hands. Giorgio Vasari, a 16th century artist and author, called it nothing less than a miracle. Michelangelo resurrected a dead stone and breathing his artistry into it brought David into existence. As he chiseled, Michelangelo envisioned what he called the imagine del cuore, or image of the heart. He believed the masterpiece was already inside the stone. All he had to do was remove the excess stone so that David could escape. He didn't see what was. He saw what could be, what already lay within his heart. He didn't see the imperfections in the stone. He saw a masterpiece of unparalleled beauty. And that is precisely how the artist sees you. Others may see a piece of stone with all its rough edges, but inside God sees the masterpiece. I love that. Ephesians 2.10 says it this way. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. What I love about this scripture is that it doesn't deny that we fell, that we had a sin problem, right? That we were a mess, that we didn't look like a masterpiece. But because of Jesus, he redeemed us. And he redeemed us so that we could go ahead and become the masterpiece that he already planned before we got saved. We were a mess and he already had a plan. He had a plan before you were born. And that is God's desire. This, this really jives with Scripture that says God is willing that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. Because when he created us, he didn't create junk. He created all of us with a, de- a destiny. And so he, want, he loved us so much that he sent his only son to die so that we could fulfill that destiny because it was so good. Whew. Man, I hope you feel that tonight from the Lord. You feel his love? How about you watching? You feel his love? Because you should feel the love of God. He loved you so much before you even hear and plan things for you. God is good. To see yourself as anything other than God's masterpiece is to devalue and distort your true identity. And it's in discovering your true identity that your true destiny is revealed. Christ is more of an artist than the artist's observed Vincent Van Gogh. He works in the living spirit and the living flesh. He makes men instead of statues. Wow. You know the word planned in that Ephesians passage? That's drawn from this Eastern custom of sending servants in advance of the king to prepare the road ahead. What they would do is, is their responsibility. They had to make sure that everything was safe, that the king could pass through. Okay? And make sure that he was able to get 
to where he was supposed to get to. Okay, that was their job. Paul took that ancient imagery and he flipped it on its face. He turned it upside down. And maybe I should say right side up. He put it there. The king of kings goes before his servants to prepare the road ahead. In other words, he strategically positions us in the right place at the right time. God is setting us up. And that ought to fill us with an unshakable sense of destiny. The fourth thing that we need to know as we start this series is embrace your dual destiny. Did you know we have a dual destiny? There's a dual, I love this part. This is like amazing to me. As I was studying this and reading this, I thought I never thought of it like this. Again, and I apologize, I'm doing so many quotes, but they were just too good to alter. So I'm reading this quote to you from Mark Batterson. Michelangelo's masterpiece, David, is enshrined at the Galleria dell'Accademia in Florence, Italy. And thousands of tourists wait for hours every day to get a glimpse. But many of them fail to notice the series of unfinished sculptures that line the corridor on the way to David. Like petrified prisoners, their forms are identifiable. A hand here, a torso there, a protruding leg or part of a head. The statues were intended to adorn the tomb of Pope Julius II, but they are non-finity. In other words, they're not done. All right? They're not finished. It's almost as if those sculptures are trying to break free and become what they were intended to be, but they are stuck in stone. Michelangelo called those statues captives. Captives. Now, how does that apply to us in embracing our dual identity, our dual destiny? Just like those sculptures, we can be captives to so many things in our life, our own sin, our own insecurity, unfulfilled dreams, disappointments, getting stuck, not knowing the way forward. All these things can hold us captive. But did you know what the subject of Jesus' first public sermon was according to the gospel? His first public sermon. This was, this, was the, this was the topic of that sermon. His destiny for coming to earth included setting the captives free. He said in Luke 4.18, 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. The captives will be released. Now, if we're kind of like those statues that were captives, we have unfulfilled destinies. We haven't really, our true self hasn't been, been born yet. Listen, Jesus has come to set you free. He's come to, to us, help you to see your true identity, your true destiny, so that you can live free. Jesus didn't die just to get us off the hook, right? Oh, he died so I, whew, I just made it out of hell. By the skin of my teeth, I get to go to heaven. That's not the only reason he died, right? He also died to resurrect the person that we were destined to be before sin distorted the image of God in us. Jesus is the author of life who came and fixed his masterpieces. He came to set us free from everything and anything that has ever held us captive. Those imperfections, those insecurities, the guilt, the anxiety, the expectations, the lies, the mistakes. He came to set us free. Jesus doesn't just set us free from who we were, but he has set us free to become who we were meant to be. That's part of your salvation. 
When you get saved, it's a glorious day because you're like, I get to go to heaven. I'm not going to hell. But it's also about now I get to know who I really am. Now I get to live really who I'm supposed to be. That's why God's will is such an important topic for Christians. People that get saved. Okay, now what, Lord? What do you have for me? Holy Spirit, what do you want to do with me? Show me. So salvation is not the end goal. It is the new beginning. Think about that. We get saved, and he starts chiseling. Let me show you who you are. Look at the masterpiece. That's what he does. God's will for us is not mainly concerned about what we do or where we go, but about who we become. This is God. So many people get hung up. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. And they get stuck in life. It's really not about that so much as it is about who you're supposed to be. Who is God calling you to be? Here's what's really great. The end goal is not even about a revelation of who you are, but about who he is. The goal is Christ in you. Wow. Therefore, the only way to discover who you are is to discover who God is because you were made in his image. You have a dual destiny, Batterson writes. One destiny is universal, to be conformed to the image of Christ. To follow Christ is to become like him. That is our chief objective in life, to be just like Jesus. But our other destiny is unique to each of us, to be unlike anyone who has ever lived. Those two destinies may seem at odds with each other, but they are anything but. To become like Christ is to become like, unlike anyone else. Let that soak in. I'm going to say it again. Listen, God has called you to be just like Jesus, but he's also called you to be unlike anyone else. And those two things jive because to become like Christ is to become unlike anyone else. He sets us free from who we're not so that we can become who we're destined to be. All right, the final thing tonight here is embrace your uniqueness. Remember biology class? How many want to forget biology class? A long time ago. We learned about biology. I think one of the funnest activities in high school in biology was, uh, you know, all the guys and the girls, as we're talking about chromosomes, we had to do that little exercise. You know, we had to pair up with a female. You know, guys had to pair up with a girl in the class. And then we had to, like, match, like, pretend what, if we had a baby together, what color eyes would they have? You know, those, did anybody do that in class? You didn't, that was fun, man. You missed out. We did that in high school, my high school. I mean, we're, you just killed frogs. Oh, is that what you did? Oh, okay. Well, we did that too, actually. That was another fun day. But here's what we learned in biology class. You have 46 chromosomes, 23 from your father and 23 from your mother. All right? The combination of these is what makes up your eye color to the, all the way, from your eye color all the way to the number of hairs on your head. It's a unique combination of chromosomes from your mom and your dad. Your identity is part of your heredity. The same is true of the image of God. It is your heredity and your destiny. All of us are one-of-a-kind originals. The mathematical probability that you would get the exact 23 chromosomes you got from your mother is 0.5 to the 23rd power. That's 1 in 10 million. But the same is true for the 23 chromosomes you got from your father. So if you multiply those two together, the probability that you would be you is 1 in 100 trillion. 
But you also have to factor in that your parents' chromosomal history had the same probability and their parents and their parents' parents. The point, you are incalculably unique. <laughs> Nobody like you. Knowing this, it is too bad that so many of us end up as carbon copies of someone else. Why? We want to fit in. And we sacrifice our uniqueness for conformity. Wow, isn't that sad? You know what the rarest form of courage is? It's the courage to be yourself. It's the rarest form of courage. You know what I love about David? Very quickly, one more scripture on David. 1 Samuel 17, 38-39 says this. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. This was like a pre-battle ritual back in those days. You got to put on the armor, right? And this was a very big honor for David because he got the king's armor. Come on up, Pastor Anthony. He got the king's armor. This should have been an honor for him. But what I love about David is that he refused to be Saul. He had to be David. He couldn't be the king with his armor and this sword. He wasn't a swordsman. But David was deadly with a slingshot. David knew how to use that weapon. And you know something? It's no different than you and me in our life. There are things that just scream at you. Try to be this person. Try to do this. Try to have that talent that, that, that this is just not part of who you are. God has created you to be who you are. And you'll discover those things, but you can't be someone else. And David is such a great example of, this, of us, for us, because he had the courage to be himself. In conclusion, to the opening of the series, is don't fall prey to life's greatest regrets. Why do you think the most successful people do what they do? They do it to give expression to something that's deep within their souls. And that something is a soul print. You and I, in the church world, there's a certain, certain thing about being part of the church world that Anything that happens on a platform, everybody feels that's what they have to do. It's like somehow that's elevated, like that's better than anything else. You ever notice that about church? Like, but honestly, God hasn't made everybody to be a singer. God hasn't made everybody to play an instrument. God hasn't made everybody to speak. That's not, that's not everybody's destiny. But God has made unique things soul prints in you for who you are. And just because it's here in church on a platform doesn't mean that that's what we have to idolize or that's what we have to try to become. You would be missing the mark. Do you know there's a whole world out there that needs Jesus? And God needs you to be who you are. God needs athletes. God needs doctors. God needs lawyers. God, can we say it? God needs politicians. <laughs> God, God needs people. Not to act like politicians, but to be in those places, right? But God needs people in places of influence. God needs people in the entertainment business. God needs people in these areas of influence in our society to be a light for the kingdom. He needs you to be you. When you are you and I am me, and we're all doing what God has called us to be, I believe we reach more people for Jesus. The light of Christ will shine because we are ambassadors. We're ambassadors wherever he sends us. And his desires, the whole world would be saved. Everybody. Everywhere. Amen? 
The failure to give expression to our soul prints will result in our greatest regrets. What a person can become, he or she must become or be miserable. It's the only way to be true to yourself and more important, true to God.